I had a bad car accident. I had some issues when I was younger. For about a three-year period, I was just abusing alcohol. I want to punch people in the face. I'm like, fuck you. I'd rather die than not, you know, do all of these behaviours. And I'm just screaming at my friend in the back because he's not moving. I'm just yelling at him and I'm thinking, please fucking be alive. And at the side that got crushed in half was the side my friend's head was faced. He gets up and he's literally covered in blood. One tiny thing went different and I've killed my best friend. My body broke down, couldn't compete anymore. Yeah, the police said, that saw the incident said they had never seen anything that severe where anyone survived. I'm not allowed to leave the house for days. We have Nick, Nick Brax here on the Unfiltered Podcast. He is the founder of Move Your Mind. This is a new company that he's working on. He's a public speaker, a radio host, and a podcast host, and he is a published author. He's also an actor, and Nick, I really appreciate you coming on here to chat this morning. Matt, it's great to come on the podcast and have another chat to you after having you on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. I'm glad we get to now sit here again and, and have this conversation. Love everything you're doing. Thanks, man. You too. It was. It's, it's interesting how the energies that we put out there end up aligning us, isn't it? It is. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Like, I think in this world whatever whatever direction you're going and you do attract like-minded people if you go about it in the right way and you have the right intention and I think that's what you know so much of this is about just doing things properly especially in a world where there's just noise everywhere it's very hard to know what direction to go in and how to how to find authentic people yeah, yeah for sure and and that's why it's so nice to meet someone like yourself who's had a similar background to mine like I I watched your story I understand that, you know, um, it's unfiltered. So we kind of talk about how we got to where we're at. And, you know, I had a bad car accident. I had some issues when I was, you know, I wouldn't say younger. I know you're a lot younger than me, but I had some issues eight years ago with, you know, car accident that changed my life and made me start looking at life very differently. Yours happened to come a little bit at a little bit younger age. You want to talk a little bit about your history and sort of how you got into the mental health field and um, sobriety? Yeah, 100%. It's a long story, so I'll, give, I'll try and give you a you know slightly shortened version, but I, I, I guess I, from a very young age, I had issues with overthinking, anxiety, compulsive, compulsive thinking, and didn't know what was wrong with me didn't really know how to handle it didn't have the education or the I guess people around me you know to, to talk about it so it manifested in a range of different right ways and mainly through sport so I uh, competed I was trying to play AFL which is Australian rules football like it's our biggest sport in Australia and was obsessed with that until I became so fit I'd win all of the middle distance running races and then I started channeling all of my energy into that um, and that became when I reflected on it, that was an addiction because at the age of like 11, 12, 13, 14, I was training for, you know, six hours a day as this, you know, young kid, I'd be hiding bricks under my bed, getting up at like two or three in the morning and doing all these weird exercises and waiting till I, my mum, you know, woke up and then I'd pretend I had just woken up and I'd go for a run for an hour and a half before school, go to training that night, triple what my coach got me to do and often be you know barely able to walk up the stairs to go to bed I'd be you know that exhausted and it, you know pe my parents knew something was wrong but I was hiding it from people and it was literally this thing I felt shame about and I had this compulsion where I would rather die than not you know do all of these behaviors and I didn't understand what was going on and it meant I didn't develop socially it stunted my physical development I didn't actually hit puberty till I was like almost 17 um, and that caused psychological problems and all of this was happening while my dad was the premier of Victoria so that's the equivalent of being you know governor of California so our family from when I was 12 till my early 20s was very well known and I was the eldest I'm the eldest kid so I actually was in the media quite a bit um, so all of this happened finished at school my body broke down couldn't compete anymore and that's when the problems really started because I just couldn't socialize didn't feel like I had any self-worth if I couldn't be an athlete I didn't feel like I deserved to be anything and almost overnight that turned into the new compulsion where it was the first time I found something where I just felt free I'd drink and my mind turned off and I was so shy I couldn't even talk to someone one-on-one -on -one. And I felt liberated. I was, I was able to just express myself and talk to people and, you know, connect with people and just forget everything. But obviously, you know, it has consequences. And for about a three-year period, I was just 
abusing alcohol every weekend, getting in trouble, life-threatening incidents. I remember my parents on reflection saying they would just be sitting at the phone you know, praying that they didn't get a bad phone call because every things were happening. You know, I'd be passing out, I'd be getting in life-threatening situations. One of the worst ones was, um, well, the worst one was a car crash where I'd been out with a group of friends and my parents were actually away. I was 20 years old at the time, um, had come home and we had been on a three-day bender. And for some reason, I can't even remember why, I decided to take the car out for a drive. And my best friend who I'd literally gone through primary school with known him my whole life my oldest friend um he was in a similar state so he jumped in the car with me was lying across the back seats of the car and we were driving um along a main road in the town i grew up in and we're going probably i'd say 60 70 miles an hour like along this road um it's raining it's like a scene on a movie it's raining i was playing i had this old saab 900 and i don't know if you remember those cars where they had those um cassette players that you can sort of you can remove because people used to steal them so i had this best of chili peppers tape that i'd play and every time i was drunk i'd be listening to under the bridge and it was sort of this song that just whenever i was depressed i'd listen to oh i know it so, uh, i lived in la man it's all about la you know there you go yeah, yeah. um so i had un- we're playing under the bridge just full blast going you know 60 70 miles an hour and something clicks in my head and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I've got to go home. So I go to turn the car around and it hits a traffic island. And while it's going at that speed, uh, the rain, so the road's wet and it's just spinning out of control. And again, like on a film, I remember this all happened in a split second, but I could see houses in front of me, the cars just spinning. And I was thinking, you know, I don't want to die. What the fuck have I done here? Like your whole life's flashing before your eyes. What's going on? This movie, this song's, you know, blasting. And eventually the car... Um, wrapped around a tree got crushed literally in half um and at the side that got crushed in half was the side my friend's head was facing so had he not had this reflex action to, to like jolt up just before it hit he would have been killed instantly he still had to go to hospital he had like had to get surgery luckily he was okay long term um but yeah the police that, that saw the incident said they had never seen anything that severe where anyone survived and by the time i got to the police station um they were telling me you know this was like it I think eight in the morning and they were saying you know you got to call your parents because this has already been leaked to the media it's going to be all over the news in an hour so that was the hardest call I've ever had to make where I'm sitting there you know my dad's away on holiday he's still the premier of Victoria at this point in time so I've got to call him you don't want him to you know wake up at our holiday house and look on the news and see what's happened so tell him what's happened he has to come back it's becomes the biggest media story in the country it's sort of on um, every station for a, a week, um, every main news outlet. I'm not allowed to leave the house for days because we've got media camped out the front. And it was just this whole thing where, you know, it was a confusing time. And, and, and that actually didn't even end up being the catalyst to make me stop and change because I, around that time, it was so severe. I said, okay, I've got to change. I've got to do something. I told everyone, you know, I was going to make these changes. But I didn't, no one around me knew knew what was actually going on and I, I don't think I knew it I wasn't willing to actually I wasn't you know I didn't have enough self-awareness to actually understand what was going on so I just tried to stop the drinking and make action take you know actionable steps but I just fell back into the same behavior patterns to, to the point where it, I was lucky because it got to the point where you know I was still young enough that I was living with my parents at the time and I my mum had to like eventually drag me to see a psychologist because I just couldn't couldn't get myself out of bed I was almost catatonic and and that was really the first step of getting, getting, taking that first step and, and talking about it for the first time and realizing that I was severely depressed. And even though I felt all of this shame, you know, at that time, being a man, having depression, didn't think, you know, even after what I was going through, I thought that was weak. But it very quickly turned to relief and started taking steps gradually and sort of, I can tell you the rest of the story, but, you know, that's, that's the lead up to sort of how I went down that path. And then there was a whole journey of, you know, how I got to where I am today. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that, that's, that's a lot to unpack. You know, you, you had this, like an obsessive compulsive disorder when you're a kid, right? And absolutely. And I, I, I know that feeling. And um, so you, you, not only that, that you have this, you know, sort of high profile father. I had one too. And I understand that concept. Um, you know, and you look up to that. You want to, you want to be something. You know, um, it, it, it for me, it instills in you a, a desire to be successful. And what does that really mean, right, to us now today? It's it's very different for me than it was at one time period. But <clears throat> when I was younger, it was very different. 
Now, the, the question that pops into my mind, and I don't know why it does, but did the cassette tape still keep playing after the car was crashed? Did you hear the song I, still? It's actually a very good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's sorry. weird, weird question, but I thought, like you said, it's like a movie. It's surreal. You crash the car. Does Under the Bridge keep playing like with the smoke and like the whole end of the scene? I mean, that's the crazy thing. And that's why I say it's like a movie. So this, the car crashes and... I the the yeah it did keep playing it's playing it's at full blast so I'm sitting there mm-hmm. in the front seat and I just I'm in complete <clears throat> shock and I'm looking ahead and people this is at like three in the morning people are all running out of their houses because it's made such a noise and I'm this song's you know playing at full blast and I'm just screaming at my friend in the back because he's not moving and I'm I'm just yelling at him and I'm thinking you know please fucking be alive yeah and eventually he starts moving and he he gets up and he's literally covered in blood it actually looked worse than it was but even in and this is you know my best friend and even in that situation he had the awareness which you know wasn't the right thing to do but he was trying to protect me where thought well okay the media are going to be here nick's going to get in a lot of trouble I, i need to get out of here so he just got up and walked home and it was like a three kilometer walk so he just walked home and he's thought you know, and eventually I told the police and everything what actually happened, but he had that thought of, I just want to protect my friend, and he walked home covered in blood. And and then I'm sitting there, and this this music won't stop, and the car's, you know, so damaged that I don't know how to make it stop, so I had to rip this cassette thing out to make it stop. And, and then, um, yeah, then I'm at the front, and everyone's there, and I, I literally grabbed a phone off one of these people and said, look, I want to call the police myself. I just want this dealt with. I know I'm in trouble and just want this over. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that was that was the process. But, it, yeah, it really was like <laughs> like a scene from a film. Wow. I mean, that is, yeah, I thought, I thought about that. I'm like, wow, that song blasting cassette tape, it's going to keep playing after the accident. That's going to be really weird, um, really funky and surreal for you. I'm sure seeing your friend like that, um, must have just not only for your own sake. I mean, especially before he wakes, you're thinking, "I've killed someone. I'm going to prison. I can't get out of this. I'm in big trouble." You know how, as alcoholics, I mean, I was very selfish, right? So when I when I had my accident, I immediately thought, "Did I kill someone? Am I in big trouble?" You know, that was my first thought, and and I can't imagine this being your best friend too. That's that's got to be very difficult at the time. What a what a shock to your system. Ah, oh, it really, yeah, massively. I think such a shock and just. The whole thing, just so many levels to it. But yeah, like with the friend especially, and I've had that thought. And I think, you know, it probably became a thing that motivated me eventually when I reflected on it, when I was sort of well, got got well enough to be able to reflect on it. I thought, you know, these decisions that we make, like one one tiny thing went different and I've killed my best friend. And my life's over. Like you'd much rather die than have that happen. And how, how could I live with, like, I just don't know how, what, how I would have coped or had a normal life if that happened. And it's just like, you know, thank God and made me just want to try and be the best version of myself that I can. And, you know, not never take anything for granted because you just, you know, these little moments can change everything. It's amazing. Yeah, what a, what a story. And I, I feel you there because you, you didn't kill him, thank God. And that's a big God shot. Now, beyond that, you're like, still, and I was the same way, didn't wake up after that. It took a while. You still stay in the same pattern. You'd think that would, would snap you awake to stop the behavior, but it didn't. Yeah, this is a crazy thing where it didn't stop the behavior. I mean, I like I said, I sort of wanted to stop, but I was so lost and I didn't realize how bad these issues that I've found out, you know, the OCD, the compulsive behavior, the self-esteem issues, how affected I was from growing up with in the situation I had where I, you know, I love my dad, but there was this feeling of, well, I'm not enough from my entire formative years being referred to as, Hey, you're the son of this person. And I, again, I'm so proud of my dad. I, I love everything he's done, but I would, want to punch people in the face because I'm like fuck you I'm Nick Brax who the fuck's your dad I'm not asking you about your your dad or referring to you as you the son of this person you're I just wanted to escape it all and didn't know what to do and it just yeah it was a, a really tough thing so um no crazy crazy sort of way to grow up but yeah not it, having it, your own identity right I mean it's like you you want to build your own identity but just overshadowed in a way Exactly. It's overshadowed. And, you know, that, I think it's just a, a combination of 
even if I didn't grow up in that situation, I'm positive I would have had a lot of similar issues, not as extreme, because I do have that personality where I've naturally been an extremist. I've, I've um, you know, ha- had a, quite an addictive personality. And, and it, you know, it's a, it, it's a blessing and a curse because I think once you realise, once you work out how to manage that and how to channel that, it actually can become a superpower, but it can also be your downfall. So I didn't have any idea how to manage it at that point and eventually sort of through this process was able to, um, you know, find a way to move forward and took a long time. But it was, I, I guess that's why I fell back into those same patterns at that point because I just didn't know how to channel it. I didn't know how to deal with it and wanted to escape everything. And, and also because of the situation I was in and being, you know, 20 years old, I actually became, you know, very well-known in, in where I grew up in Melbourne. So but around that time and, and moving forward even more so, I was ended up being on Dancing with the Stars and all these, you know, TV shows. And, and I would go out to these nightclubs and, you know, could walk in, they'd put me in a booth, I'd have women coming over I'd be able to bring you know 10 friends in free drinks and I got addicted to that feeling of the validation of oh wow I've gone from you know this really bizarre thing because two years before that I finish up at high school can't compete in sport anymore haven't developed socially I'm a shell of a person I've got no self-esteem I can't even you know look someone in the eye and talk to them and you know two years after that I'm in this situation where I've got all this attention not for actually achieving anything actually from notoriety from all this stuff and I'm just diving into that because it feels like a drug to me it's an escape and you know it's sort of all perpetuated that cycle yeah it's amazing what can catapult you into the public eye like they say in Hollywood when I was there for years it's it's you know any publicity is good publicity and, and it's it's weird. It's a weird thing, right? And I feel you because I've lived that experience of having a nice house in the Hollywood Hills and the party doesn't end, right? I've got this house. It's paid for, dude. Like, living in the Hollywood Hills, you know? And I, you want to have the after party? Come on over. It doesn't end for a week. Yeah. And it's really a strange and surreal life. It's It's also very vapid. There's nothing concrete about it at all. And that is painful. It almost feels soulless. I mean, I would wake up some mornings and nothing could please me anymore. You know, I, yes. I had everything. Like the the things of this life that um, are are attainable were there. But where, where's the spiritual part of that? Where's the part that settles me? I had no serenity, so to speak. And it sounds like you've been there too. Oh, yeah, for a long time, exactly. And, that, and that's exa- the exact feeling. You sort of, you know, you wake up and you just feel empty and you're chasing something you're chasing another drug really and you know there's nothing wrong with a career in in any area if you want a career in in entertainment in you know whatever it is it can be okay if it's done in the right way but like you're saying in that sort of in that world of um of media of of status of all of those things that you know and I can only imagine what it's like on the level you're talking about where you're in Hollywood and um you know it's that's the epicenter of this stuff it's it's very addictive and it's very um alluring but once you actually get a taste of it and I, I feel very fortunate that I got to have this taste of it at, at that age and then very quickly was you know on these reality shows and then because I was so naive and loving the attention I thought I want to be an actor now and um, I always say, you know, I got actually got into acting for the wrong reasons. I thought, okay, maybe if I can become good at acting, I can become really famous and didn't really realize what went into it. It actually became one of the best things that happened to me because I started, did a full-time course and it made me come out of my shell and help with my public speaking and everything else. And I ended up loving it because I thought, okay, this is a way to just actually, it was therapy for me. And like, even now, like I, I still like doing some acting things just for therapy because it gets me out of my head it's like escapism or going you know going to a class or something I like all that side but then later on after I I got a show on like a soap opera in Australia and then I was um, you know auditioning for things and then it became moving overseas and auditioning more intensely and very quickly I started fucking hating it because it became not about the thing that I was actually doing it for like at the beginning I remember the happiest I've been was like when I was in class for the first time and 
there was no other reason to do it other than I was just like, I want to learn the craft of doing this. And I want to, you know, I was getting a thrill out of just having to get over my ego, make a fool of myself in front of these other people. And um, when I was, when I moved to New York, actually I had another experience a couple of, about a year and a half ago where I hadn't done any acting stuff for a while. And I went to this community theater thing and it was like a tiny little community theater group. And we put on, we spent about three months putting together this one-off play performance and it was in this dingy little place about we invited people along maybe 40 people came and watched and you know we actually lost money doing it because we put it together and it's the best experience I had I was on a high after because all these people there's people I would have never connected with and we're like we just did it because we're like fuck it like this is let's we want to do it for the sake of it and this sense of community and I think they're the things you meant to take out of these whether you do the acting on a bigger level or not but it very quickly as you know much more than me you know leads can can lead to all the negative sides of it because so much of the industry can be about that. Yeah, it's tough. I do love the art of just acting and filmmaking in general, and it changes very quickly. Hollywood's a different place, you know? I mean, I, I've been to, like, you know, you go to Nicolas Cage's Halloween party and you got, you know, Patricia Arquette, you know, welcoming you, and then you got, you know, Dennis Hopper, and you got all these people, like, there, and it's just crazy, you know, there's Kurt Hammett from Metallica hanging out in the movie room, and you, it's just weird, it's surreal, but it feels very soulless, it feels very lost, you know, yeah. and then the next year you go there, he's married to Lisa Marie Presley, and there she is, it's like, it, how quickly did that change? It was like, wait, what? I, I, this is like deja vu, but a different woman in a whole different atmosphere, and very strange thing. And then, you know, you get to those levels where you're walking in rooms and you know how, I mean, you know how it is when you audition, you know, you, then I, then I start going to like meet George Lucas and then you're like, you know, reading for Christopher Nolan and you're like, Oh man, like this is stressful. You know, um, you got Al Pacino sitting there watching you and you're like, what is going on here? You know, this is, this is different. This is surreal. And I, and I didn't really, I, I got tired of the business and you know how dirty it can be and we don't have to get into this, but it can be a very dark business. You know, it's one of those businesses where there's, you know, it's a smile with a shiv down the spine. And I think that's difficult for addicts. I think it's a hard business. And I was told that in recovery, you know, hey, it's a difficult business. You know, there's a lot of tough stuff and you're on the, you're, you're in front of people being judged often. So, you know, I think for you, what's so interesting with your story is is how you coped with, you know, the, the aftermath of all of this and now how you deal with, you know, you were saying that we as addicts, you know, it can be a blessing and a curse. And so with that, we know that we can work very, very hard on something obsessively, right? We know that we can build a company, we can write a book, we can act in a movie, we can do all, we can be a public speaker, we can do all these things. So how do you manage this now, knowing that you have this addiction, and how do you keep it, say, good? I know you have a relationship, you've got a girlfriend, you've got all this wonderful stuff happening for you. How do you manage your personal relationships and all of the business that you do now? Because I know you're very busy. Yeah, I think it's such a good question and, you know, applies to any of us, but obviously, especially in this realm of people that, like you're saying, that we have these addictive personalities that can go either way. Um, I'd say the number one thing is balance. It's sort of balance and self-awareness because I think you're never going to have complete balance, but trying to maintain as much of a balance or when you feel yourself going too far one way, having the awareness and the experience to, to pull yourself back in. And I guess it's things unraveling and I'm learning every day, you know, I'm learning more and more and I'll be observing things now and, you know, I might have a feel a day where I'm feeling you know, agitated or behaving in a certain way. And then I'll, you know, step back and think, hang on, okay, what's happened? What's happened to actually change things? Why do I feel like this? And then you think about it, you're like, okay, maybe this is going on. This has triggered me or I haven't slept enough. Okay. Like, why don't I, why don't I just wait and not make any, you know, decision or read into this emotion too much until I have a good sleep and feel clearer, you know, again, and then you normally feel better and, you know, not like sort of being so reactive to things, but for, I think for me, I don't know, I think it sounds like it's probably similar to you. And I think the, this personality profile, the biggest thing was I need, if I don't have, if I don't feel a deep enough meaning and purpose for what I'm trying to do, I, I can't really commit to it. So I guess when I was, went through that period and was really depressed, I eventually, as part of my recovery, went back to university, did this entrepreneurship course, didn't know what I wanted to do, had to do all this public speaking in it and I'd, I was so terrified I'd be sort of talking in front of five people and 
um, you know, vomiting before I go do it, and I'd have it written out word for word, and I was just, you know, it was a, I may as well have been speaking a different language, but I had to push myself out of my comfort zone and get over this fear, and through doing that, I then became confident enough that I realized, oh, fuck, I, I want to, you know, I'm getting better with this process of mental health, and by immersing myself in things, it's actually helping, even if it's not the perfect thing, and I want to try and help other people, and then when I wound up on that reality show, I had an opportunity to help with a mental health charity. Then I got asked to speak at places. And then very quickly I found um, I found my new passion. I want to help in mental health. I'm sharing my story. And I'm actually able to use this to help other people. And then the entertainment side came along sort of organically through that whole process as well. And, you know, before I knew it, I um, realized that I had found a new passion and purpose. But it only came about by going into the unknown, doing things that I didn't want to do, just taking that, putting one foot in front of the other. And I think I've gone a bit around all over the place in the answer to this, but I think that was the lead up to getting on that track. And then it's become about just, you know, really maintaining that and finding how can I balance things out. And early on in that process, I used to be trying to do way too many things at once. I was trying to start, you know, two companies at once while wanting to audition five times a week and, you know, do public speaking and do this and do that. And I look back and I'm like, how, you know, no wonder like these things in the past didn't work. And I'm still like that now because I think that's the personality. We want to do so many things. There's so much creativity. It's like so much energy to do stuff. So now I'm, again, it's about balance where uh, I feel very fortunate to have the relationship I have. You know, she's amazing. She's so grounding. And, um, you know, we really work on that together and work. We have a vision where it's like we both want similar things in life. So we're working together to build that, you know, build that, that vision that we have. And I'm just trying to keep balance about, you know, there's all these different projects I want to do, but breaking it down where it's like right now, the business is a priority. Two years ago, when I was writing a book, that was a priority, well, actually launching the podcast and the book in COVID. So I just doubled down on that until that worked. And it's like, I think it's sort of whatever you're doing, that's going to require a lot of intense focus for a period until it becomes, has enough momentum or enough of a team behind it that you can then go and do the next thing. So being able to, and sorry, I'm just rambling, I think, on this question again, <laughs> but um, I think being able to just take things one step at a time and not try and do everything at once and just, uh, yeah, find that balance. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it make, your answer makes sense. I know I know where you're going with it. I get it. I follow the, the thought process. Um, we often have to, as for me as an addict, I have to have a lot of different things that I'm working on that I can go and pull from when the time is right. You know, and I can work on that thing for a while and it keeps me satiated. I'm like, okay, I'm satisfied for a little while. And and then balancing that with my personal relationship, you know, like like you were saying, you know, I have to be careful and I have to have an open line of communication with my partner so that they can say to me, hey, dude, you know, you've been down there for 12 hours now, you know, working on this. And, and, it, and it helps. That open line of communication, I think, is really important, you know, during that process. And you also touched on... The most important thing there, which is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's the big one there that you were touching on is that you threw up before you would speak. And really, this is something you needed to push through that taught you how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a huge one. And I think, you know, it, it's, it, this applies for everyone because we, we like to feel comfortable. You know, we don't want to feel, and our brain's actually built for that. We're meant to be in communities, you know, protecting each other you know we've got this fight or flight mechanism all the way back to caveman times to survive but it doesn't actually serve us most of the time and we don't really grow if we don't push ourselves out of our comfort zone I think the world now is conditioned more than ever to allow us to not be uncomfortable because you can sit behind a screen you can uh, if you have an extreme opinion about something and you know the people in your real life don't agree with you you can just jump on social media and find an echo chamber and they'll reinforce your view and whatever it is so i think it's we, we need to be challenged we need to challenge ourselves we need to keep an open mind we need to continually be having that awareness to check in and think okay am i becoming stagnant am i accountable here do i have enough people that are um you know really holding me in line and holding me accountable and and doing things like that, you know, just feeling, doing, you know, even once a week, doing something that moves you out of your comfort zone. It's again why at the moment I'm like, I'm actually scared right now to go back and go to an acting class because I haven't done it for a while. And 
I'm going to force myself to do it soon because, you know, I'm busy with other stuff, but I just want to do that on the side just to remind me of the feeling of being scared, you know, being in front of other actors, getting up, doing a scene, being worried. Are they going to judge me? Am I going to make a fool of myself? What are they thinking? Am I as good as them? It's kind of good because you just have to get over your ego. So just finding versions of that that you can do around what you're doing, you know, it just makes you stay stay sane and grounds you and gives you perspective. I think it's it's so important. And I think, you know, a big part of that is having a good relationship you know which i think we've touched on a couple of times um if you're in a good relationship there's an open line of communication you're going to have to face you know it's a mirror so you're gonna have to face so many different things and sometimes with my girlfriend um you know she she'll call me out whenever i'm doing something that needs to be called out on or where normally i'd be able to just call a friend and and complain and i'll say oh no it's okay blah, blah blah but and it feels so infuriating in the you know, as it's happening, but then you work through it and you look back and you think, thank God, you know, like I just grew through that and what the hell. So I think having that, that kind of stuff in place is, is so important. And I guess when we go back to what you were saying before about, um, you know, the extreme version, again, the Hollywood version of these fake relationships or these transient relationships, again, this is a reflection of what's happening in a lot of broader society where people are now you know, not really valuing what a real relationship is. And I was doing it, you know, when I was younger and didn't, I thought I want to, you know, date all these different actresses or famous models or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you go and try it and you realize very quickly, what the fuck? Like I have nothing in common with these people. And why do I feel so empty? And the allure is lost within a week because you realize that there's not much behind it. And, you know, a relationship's about an actual connection and you know it's two people actually supporting each other and you're a team it's a partnership and that takes a huge amount of work and it's actually not glamorous you know and anyone that thinks it is going to be this hollywood romantic story all day every day is kidding themselves because that's that's not life you know like no matter what it's impossible if you want to have a good relationship so i think really diving into that i think it, it's so important and um, it's so easy not to because now we have People can jump on Instagram, they can go on a dating app, they can just, you know, swipe, find the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, not commit to anything. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's such an important thing. So easy to triangulate, you know, early on in relationships and ask for advice about, you know, the person you're dating. I, I remember this, like when I was younger, it would be like, I would ask everybody their opinion, you know, like I cared, or like it mattered to them, but it didn't. And, you know, when you get into a real relationship, I mean, for me anyway, like with my wife, it, I didn't ask for anyone's advice. I didn't ask anyone's opinion about the relationship. I just let it evolve without you know, these, you know, inner, these, these connections getting crossed by other people inflecting their opinion about what I was doing in my relationship. And I think when we're young, we often seek opinions from other people about those relationships, you know? Oh yeah. Like you saying like that and what you're saying there has been the biggest, I would say roadblock of my life, um, which I've still working on, but have become a lot better with, but people pleasing and through, I guess, insecurity uh i would ask everyone i had people around me all these people that actually didn't have my best interest and a, a lot of it was from i guess the uh the sort of prominence of the family i'd grown up in being on tv being naive this young kid who was very lost and then i had all these people around me that were sort of leeching off me and i would be asking them for advice on everything every single thing i was doing if I wanted to try and look into a business, if I wanted to go and make a decision about traveling somewhere, if I wanted to date someone, whatever it was, I had about five to 10 people and I'd be calling them up. Hey, I don't know what to do. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And they're all giving me different advice. And then they would get upset at me if I didn't take their advice, yet I'd keep asking them. And then I'd have 10 different ideas in my head. I wouldn't know, wouldn't be listening to myself anymore. And this went on for so long where I was just so, so unhappy and couldn't make any right decisions not one good thing came out of any of those decisions and exactly like you said it wasn't until I just removed myself from that entire thing and didn't ask anyone I just listened to my gut and thought okay what what do I actually want here who gives a fuck what anyone thinks and when I started doing that gradually all of the good things in my life happened you know there's no way I could have been with my girlfriend if I didn't do that there's no way any of the good things in my life could have happened and it, it actually scares me because I can see how easily I could have gone, you know, just stayed stuck in 
that vicious cycle if if I didn't do it. And I think it's just, you know, it's important to have, I think really important to have mentors and people that we can get advice off if we can find the right people that truly, you know, have our best interest and can give us, you know, advice, but not tell us what to do. But it's, you've got to be careful not to, you know, you're better off actually having no one than having people that are going to try and control you and you know, if you're a people pleaser, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's the old saying where, you know, when you ask people advice, be careful of who you ask that advice of, because oftentimes they'll be giving you advice that's good for them. Yeah. 100%. And people do that, you know, and I think that was where I really learned like, okay, I really like this woman. Like, I don't want this to get messed up. And how am I going to stay away from that? Well, I'm not going to tell my parents about this right away. And I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Even my parents, everybody. I just kept them all out of it. Because, you know, everybody has their opinion and they see you a certain way. And you have to learn who you are. And so I can see you, like, saying, like, if your girlfriend now or my wife now were to see me before sort of my transformation where I'm asking everybody all these questions, am I really that attractive? Am I really that man that they want to be with? when I've got to go and I've got to ask for validation about every, you know, everything I, I, I think I want to do, I've got to go and ask, can I do it? I mean, is that really something that's attractive? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Absolutely. it's very attractive, you know? So that's kind of how I look at it now. And it took me many years. I mean, I'm 48, I'm going to be 48 this month. And, you know, it took me, you know, almost 40 years to learn that. 40 years. And I can imagine, you know, I'm, I'm 36 and I'm still very much learning it and I've got a long way to go. And it's just, you know, and did you find, I guess, like a lot of the, because what I'm learning is a lot of the friends I had around me, they, not only when you stop asking them for advice, they sort of, they, they want it, they see you as this person that you used to be and they tell you, oh no, I want the best for you. I want you to do this blah 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 and then when you finally do it you stop asking their advice you go and do it and you change they try and fight you on every step of it even when you're not asking the advice it's sort of these people a lot of people that you know you think have your back and want the best for you not not because they're bad people but because they're afraid of seeing you change again it's a mirror for them uh it can it can hold you back and you got to be so aware of that because it's been kind of a shock to me as I've taken these steps, just seeing the reaction that these people have had. Yeah. I mean, you know, off the record, like to, to speak bluntly, you know, you and I, you know, we, we, we have a certain look, right? A certain thing, right? That maybe would say, say it's the kind of classic sort of Hollywood looking type guy, right? We could cast you in a soap opera tomorrow. And, you know, and that, that for me was one of those things where male friends, you know, were some of them really giving me good advice or were they slightly jealous that I would get a lot of the girls or, you know, these, and, I, and how do I deal with that? I do have success. I do have a house of my own. I do have all these things. So why am I asking these guys advice, you know, and then when I don't do what they say, are they just trying to control me? Do they just want to have that control over somebody that is, you know, like me, like powerful like me? And I'm sure you've felt that same thing that I felt and it's pain in the ass because you don't know who's really your friend out there. Like, are you just riding my coattails so you can get the chicks? Cause I'm at the bar with you. You know, that's kind of how it went for me, you know, and, and I'm sure you had a similar experience. hundred percent. Same thing. And, and, you know, it, it becomes a shock cause you, you're not thinking of yourself like that. And you think who gives a fuck? Like sure. And, and I, and I was always shocked and still am because I'm like, surely they don't, surely they don't actually, they're not actually thinking that or they're worried about that. Or if they were, you know, talk to me about it. Like if I felt insecure about something, I would expect, that's why I've got a friend, you know, I want to talk to them about these kind of things and then let's work through it and support each other. But it is a weird thing where you just, you never expect, but then you see the behavior and you're like, what the fuck? Like, I can't believe this. And again, it's not, it's not because anyone's a bad person. They're on their own journey and they clearly haven't, you know, dealt with some of their own issues like all of us. But it's it's a shock because you just you know you never think your own friends wouldn't have your back and wouldn't want the best for you yeah and you like for me i mean i didn't have a lot of self-confidence so that's why i was asking these questions yeah i think they're almost shocked at times that we're asking them and it almost empowers them you know and we should probably be saying yo man here's what you should do like we we had that power right there all along but because of the self-confidence issue i i really couldn't access it 
And now yes. I have access to it, but would I have used it in the right way back then? Probably not. Now I can actually harness that and use it in the right way. And I don't really pay attention to people's comments and things. You know, I get a lot of comments, you know, about appearance or things like that on social media and stuff like that. And it's hard because, you know, you want to be taken seriously because we're doing a lot of great work. And sometimes you just want to put on a ski mask and get on, you know, and, and, <laughs> and actually do the work and speak or do a podcast where it's just vocal. Um, and I mean, like, I don't have to keep this on the podcast, but you, I'm sure you feel like what I'm saying. Like, you, have you dealt with this? Because I, I deal with it, you know? Oh, 100. No, over and over again, exactly. That exact thing you're talking about. And um, it was the same thing where I, I think these people were shocked because I was so vulnerable and I'm asking them for advice. And then very quickly, I had so many situations and ones even now where I have to, you know, have these people reaching out that I've tried to cut out and I have to be so careful not to respond because they'll try and endear you and then find a way in and then i'm like find myself you know chatting again i'm like oh fuck you know mm -hmm. this is can become toxic so quickly but it was because exactly what you said they're almost and i don't even think that could be the truth now because i'm like what the fuck like how could anyone give a shit about you know i don't feel like i've really got anything special that you know no one else has like yeah. but um but then you know you realize oh shit it's because ex the, the thing you said like they're mm -hmm they're shocked that you're asking them for advice. And then as soon as they get used to that situation, they are getting a kick out of wanting to control you and feeling empowered from that. And then they don't want to lose that and they'll do anything to try and hang on to that dynamic. And yeah, it's a weird combination and people it, just, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, <laughs> I was there early in recovery too. It's like, you know, even the dating pool, like when I'm a date someone and it wouldn't work out, it would just be like stalking or crazy stuff, you know, like things that I just, like, you know what I'm, it seems like you've been there, you've dealt with this kind of thing. And that's amazing to, to, to go there. And it's hard, you know, because a lot of people don't want to hear us even say this, like they didn't even, then you're a jerk because you said it, you know, you, you, you said that you, you're, you know, you're this certain, you have this certain look that attracts this type of situation. And even that's a problem, you know? Well, that's the fucked thing. Like, it's like, you've like, I've, I think you can't because like, and I've with like friends that old friends that I've tried to somehow main, maintain somewhat of the relationship. But I think if you went to them and said, hey, is it because of this? I'm positive they're too insecure to ever admit. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, it's not, what, what the fuck? Like, who do you think you are? Like, what? And then it almost feels like gaslighting. And then you feel like a fucking idiot. So it's like, okay, how you, you literally, what do you, how can you fucking yeah. maintain a proper relationship with these people? You can't. You can't. And that, that's, <laughs> that's the problem. Possible. You've learned. You got to learn to be a lone wolf almost in in this situation. And I and that that's. I think that the female bonding has been fantastic for me. Having a wife, somebody I can confide in, somebody that I really care about, that we love each other, and I know the love is true. I mean, I was down and out when we met. It wasn't a. You know, I wasn't in a great place. Um, I, mean, I, I was. I was recovered. I was in recovery. I was sober. But you and I vibe on all of those levels. And you know, once you reach a certain level of success with money and things, yeah. You know, there's only a certain amount of money that you have where, you know, you're taking care of all of your money doesn't really mean that much. I mean, you got your cars, you got your house, you got your food, you got your vacation, whatever it is you may need. Beyond that, what really does the money do? Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> not much. It's not really, no, because I mean, what, you want another car or a more expensive holiday or whatever it is. I think, I think the statistics is like 80,000 and above, like I think up to 80,000. It actually improves your well-being and your happiness because there's certain you know core needs that need to be met and you know it removes some stress but anything above 80 i think it's basically zero in terms of how much it goes up because what what else do, we don't need that much you know and it's like you're saying like having a really good relationship that's the person you're going to be spending all day every day with and you're a team and that's that they're the important things your family you know what you're actually doing every day the result is less important because if you're doing something that is going to give you a heart attack by the age of 50 then why the you know like what why are you doing it even if you could become a billionaire what's the fucking point or you could become i think we talked about last time like a lot of these famous people end up becoming suicidal because oh, i've seen it so, yeah. so what's the point yeah there 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 is that it's a society that has taught us or told us and instilled in us that it's really important to be famous and successful. And, you know, I moved to Tennessee and everyone here is like, why would you do that? You lived in Hollywood. And I'm like, have you seen Sunset Boulevard? You know, I got jumped there once. It's not what yeah. you think it is. And the show business is like coal mining. I mean, you're making a movie, you're on set until 
three o'clock in the morning, nobody's really that friendly. And it's not really, I mean, what do you, you know how it is. It's, it's a difficult business. But speaking of yep. business, you have some cool businesses that you're working on right now. And I'd like to let you have a, an opportunity to talk about, you know, move your mind. And then um, you have a, a business that you're starting. You just talked about it early on. Is, is that the business that you're, you've just, you're, you're working on? Or is that the yes. Move Your yeah, Mind pretty, podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. So Move Your Mind basically um, is a brand that I built where I released a book um, called Move Your Mind a couple of years ago. Then my podcast is called Move Your Mind. And in terms of the business, what it, I, I did a lot of public speaking and then I built a sort of seminar company and uh, made programs like educational programs with psychologists that I would license into companies. And <clears throat> now that's actually evolved into a software platform so we're launching that in about three weeks time and essentially it's a a software platform that we license into companies and it, it helps them manage the well-being across the company so this is for like medium to large companies and they can um, aggregate all of the wellness tools that they're using through our one system so it sort of tracks everything and then it comes with content from uh, people from all over the world across you know mental physical financial health and they get a feed of content and it helps them do check-ins and um, they get incentivized to use it. And then the companies are getting all the metrics to help, you know, improve their um, their programs. So yeah, we've got the MVP of that coming out. It's been, that's been sort of a huge process, you know, with the technology and getting it all ready and raising money and whatever else. So uh, yeah, we're, we're sort of a couple of weeks away from launching the first version of that. that that's great um so how how are people going to access that is it going to be just like a desktop or is it an app how are you going to how are you going to work that yeah so it comes as a mobile platform mobile app and then we release the app um probably end of the year so that's sort of phase two um so that yeah it gets accessed through for it's all it's all for companies so for employees they'll have access on on their desktop on their phone and then the app version will come out um, a little while later. And yeah, it's it's sort of a management tool for these companies. And um, yeah, something sort of I've been in that space for a long time and seen, you know, the problems. And we're, we're targeting construction industries because that's male dominated. They've got crazy mental health issues. Suicide rates, are, I, don't, I always forget the statistic, but it's almost four times higher than, you know, the normal rate. and. So we're trying to get something in there that can be used anywhere that can help these guys just have some simple tools to make change because you know they don't have a lot of um, resource in that industry. Yeah, I would imagine this would work in a lot of industries. I mean, we've got some very high risk industries like I'm sure police, you know, um, uh, military. There, there's got to be a lot of use cases where you, you could you could move this software into those companies and really help people, you know, with their mental health because that is something that. I know for me, working at a corporation, they're not so concerned about my mental health. They're more concerned now that I don't offend the, the wrong person, you know, and my training is all about that, or protecting the company from fraud. Whereas, you know, there is no, here's a mental health, you know, app that you can use, that you should use, and we encourage you to do that. So it's a great idea. Yeah, and it's so true what you're saying. A lot of companies really at the end of the day a lot of i mean some companies do genuinely care and they're setting an example but the majority still would look at it where you know these bigger companies have to do these compliance things or they have to do something to show that they're taking initiative and on the other side when you can show them that if they actually do these things it'll improve the bottom line you know that'll help them if they can see it in a tangible way but in general yeah a lot of the time if they don't have to do it they don't really want to because they want to just you know how do how do we sort of make more money how do we make things more efficient so it's finding the right way in and being able to show them in you know tangible ways hey this is actually how we can help your company long term you know you're going to make more money if you do this stuff in the right way um but yeah and and the us is where i'm wanting to like we're sort of launching this in australia and testing it there but i live in the us now and um we want to really grow it in the u.s that's the market i want to try and um, eventually you know really get it out there and yeah that makes sense i i work for a really large insurance company corporation you know and i run their digital experience there so that would be an interesting um avenue to pursue as well um 100 yeah so like <clears throat> if, if we're gonna if we're gonna summarize everything and sort of by the way where do they find that do they do is there any if i have companies out there that are watching me is there somewhere they can go and 
uh, find out about the platform and what you what you're what you're doing yeah appreciate that so if they go to moveyourmind.io that's our website um, we've just got a landing page there until it launches where they can you know inquire to find out more and then my website nickbrax.com um, you can find the Move Your Mind podcast and book and free resources and all of that sort of information. Great. So just one last question, um, and that is, so if you were to, um, you know, give a young person advice, say, today who is maybe struggling with mental health issues or addiction, you know, what would be one thing you would say, like the thing that you would say to them that would help to um, maybe open up their mind to the possibility that they needed to get help or that they could get help or that there was hope? I think, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, And I'd just say to them, look, number one, and I think the thing I wish I knew when I was younger is you're enough. You're actually already enough. And no matter what you do, you're already enough right now. You know, nothing's going to change that. And there's there is help out there and you know no matter how bad you feel emotions change you know feelings good bad indifferent will always change so just take that first step i think i always say when it comes to mental health the one thing i sort of say is there's only one thing that you should not do and that's nothing so just literally do something you know and and every we're all going to start it differently like in my story i was too scared to go and um get help my mum dragged me to get help and when I spoke about it I finally was able to take that first step so you know fine it might be that you're too scared to talk to anyone go on google and type in free mental health helpline talk to a friend just literally take that first step because it's like anything in life if we want to start a business it's overwhelming okay just take the first step you want to get into acting okay where do I begin go and just enroll in a class or pick up a script or whatever so that, that would be my advice just take that very first step and hopefully the next steps will you know come from there nice nice uh so nothing changes if nothing changes love that that's it man well nick thank you so much for joining me today i appreciate it it was great talking with you we could go on for hours same to you mate really loved it and you know i love connecting with people like you because i think as we talked about sort of it's it's refreshing because i think i feel like we just have an innate understanding of what we've been through and how we our experience in the world so really appreciate you making the time to you know have me on here and and talk to you again my pleasure man thanks so much we'll see you soon appreciate it bye-bye